Welcome to the Living Faith Missionary Church Podcast. You're about to listen to a message from Pastor Chris Starn, Senior Pastor at Living Faith in Yoder, Indiana. It is our prayer that this message is an encouragement and a blessing to your life. You know, we're in the middle of these oracles, or what they're called, these these prophecies and these things that Isaiah is pronouncing about the Gentile nations that are around Jerusalem, around Judah. And what we're going to find today is uh, that there are certain things that God delights in. So I'm going to ask you, what do you what do you delight in? What do you enjoy? You know, some people some people enjoy sports. They enjoy playing sports, or they enjoy watching sports. Some people enjoy food. Oh, I'm not supposed to raise my hand. <laughs> Some people enjoy food. They, there's these certain things that they really love to eat, their favorite things, and they just, you, know, you, you start talking to them about them, and their, their mouth starts you know, getting moist. They start thinking about the, what the flavor. Some people enjoy nature. Some people, most of us, I hope, delight in our families. The love we feel, the, the fun times, the joy we have. You know, as humans, we, we long to delight in things. We, we want to enjoy the things that God has blessed us with in our lives. But many times, we, we have a danger in that delight because we've we got to be careful that we don't delight in it so much that it becomes an idol. Like we talked about last week. See, our, I think our souls were created to desire things, to delight in things. So much so that we will sacrifice time and money in the pursuit of those things. Because I don't know about you, but I don't just want to work and do what I'm supposed to do and, and have these obligations. I want to enjoy what I'm doing. I want to enjoy my life. This wonderful blessing that God has given. I mean, God wove us together in, in our mother's womb. He gave us life. We should delight in our lives. But there are certain things we should delight in. If we go to chapter in Psalm chapter 1, it says, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners. I mean, we there are people who delight in those things, and they're not good. We're not to do that because blessed is the one who, who, who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sin, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is what? In the law of the Lord. And on his law he meditates day and night. You want to be blessed? You, you want to be considered blessed? Then you, you, you need to meditate on God's law. Now that doesn't mean that you put everything else aside. It means that it becomes where you're thinking of God's law all the time. It's always there. You know it. You, you memorize it. You, you read it. You, you relish, you delight in those times when you can sit down and just read it. I, I, I'll be honest with you. I struggle with morning devotions of sitting and trying to get through the Bible. I'm trying to get through it again. And I, I, I got like two chapters, three chapters a day I try to read. I'm finding that I don't delight in this, the regiment of that, but I delight in those times when, like, in the afternoon, I can sit and I can grab my Bible and I can read it. But for me to say, yeah, every day at five, 8 o'clock, I'm going to get up, I'm going to do this, I, I don't delight in that. 
I delight in God's word, but I don't delight in that structure. So I have to find out what, you know, how, to, how can I delight in the word of God? How can I delight in, and weave it into my life? Because, see, we were created, you and I are created in the image of God. So there's certain things about God that are similar in us. We are not God, by the way, but we are like him in certain ways. And one of the ways is in delight, because God delights. In Genesis 1, when God created everything, we see God delighting in what he creates. He, he creates things with an amazing variety. And what does he do when he finishes the first day of creation? Every day of creation, he says it is what? Good. He's delighting in it. He's loving it. He's seeing it. He loves the fact that what he's created. It's not being conceited. It's saying, this is amazing. This is awesome. I love this. And then it comes down to the sixth day, the last day he's going to be creating anything, and he creates man. What does he say at the end of that day? It is what? Very good. He is delighting in his creation, and he's not only delighting in his creation, he's delighting in us. If we go to the book of Proverbs, in Proverbs, we see this interesting little thing in verse in, in chapter 8, where the writer of Proverbs personifies wisdom. And it talks about God at creation. And it talks about wisdom. And so it's, it's making like, this is wisdom. So this is wisdom talking. Verse 30 says, then I was beside him. So we have God and we have wisdom together. Like a master workman and I was daily his delight. God delights in wisdom Rejoicing before him always, rejoicing in his inhabited world, and delighting in the children of man. God delights in you. I think many times he laughs at me because of what he has created me and how he has created me. But he loves that about me. The things about me that I think are, you know, drive me myself crazy and those around me, he kind of delights in them, if they're the right things, granted. <laughs> You know, the way my brain works and sometimes my sense of humor, he, he delights in that. See, the reality is that Yahweh is our creator God, and he takes great delight in the love that is between the Trinity. The love he has for his Son and for the Holy Spirit and the love they have for the Father, he delights in that. He delights in the works of his creation. I mean, I'm sure every morning when the sun comes up, I mean, he can, like, follow it all day. He get multitude, nanoseconds of, of sunrise. God delights in the beauty of that. And he delights in his children. Fathers, find ways to delight in your children. I don't care if they're a baby or whether they're 50 years old. Find a way to delight in your children. God delights in why. So why does God... Why does God, first of all, delight in the, the relationship of the Trinity? Why does he delight in this creation? And why does he delight in you and me? And, and, and as I was racking my brain trying to think, how did, what makes God delight in us? It's because we can show his glory. You and I, creation, the Trinity, show, have the ability to show the glory of God. So he delights in us. You know, when, I mean, you look at us, when you look at all of, na all of, of humanity, you look at, at the nations, look at the, look at the variety of the nations. Look at how different everyone is. 
And yet, look at the similarities. We all have mouths, hopefully one. I think if we had any more than one, we'd be in trouble. We'd really be arguing with ourselves. We all have one nose, two eyes, two ears. Most of us still have hair. Sorry, you resemble that remark? There's, but even in the similarities, there's great variety. God in his wisdom created all the peoples, the races, the languages, and the tribes over all the world. He created all of them. And all of the differences and all the similarities bring glory to God. Do you, under, do you think about this? All of the sim, all the differences we see here, all the similarities that we see here in all humanity, all nations, all people, all languages, actually came from one man. The genetic code in one man. Written in the genetic code was the possibility of all the nations of the world. Amazing. Paul tells us in Acts 17, he says, and he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling place. God did not only just create us, but he created us for a certain place at a certain time. I always think about, I'd love to sometimes to go back and maybe have lived in a different time. We got to experience that on Monday. What it's like to live in a different time with no electricity. But see, I wasn't meant to live at that time. I was meant to live now. And I think sometimes, wow, I'd, I'd, love, to, I'd love to live on the beach. I'd love to have a house on the beach and about maybe an hour from the mountains I'm not asking for much but you know what what did God do he plucked me right in the middle of this country not right in the middle but in the Midwest why because he wants me here right now I keep praying Lord tell me where you want me to go he doesn't tell me so this is where I'm supposed to be and guess what he planned that from eternity past God puts us in place for a certain time now, some people might, go and put that picture back up, um, Sam, of the people. Now, some people might look at this, and they look at the differences, and they say, well, you know, I, 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 really, I really don't like people with beards and mustaches, or I don't like redheads, right? And what they see when they look at it, they see weakness, they see people's weaknesses instead of their strengths. And what happens when you look at this and you see weakness, what does that do? That leads you to pride because you look at yourself and you think, well, I must be better than them because I don't have red hair. I could. <laughs> it wouldn't be real, but it'd be red hair. Or, you know, they must, there must be something wrong with them because they, they wear glasses. Oh, by the way, just as a quick... Quick, funny side note. If you're ever watching somebody and they claim to be a healer, okay, and they wear glasses, don't believe them. Because why can't they cure themselves, you know? Uh, so they look at them and they, and they so in pride that they do, they see the weaknesses of the other. They think the other races are weaker. And the reality is that's a source of sin. 
See, our different races, our different races come from God. He created us that way. That's the variety that brings him glory. But racism is from sin. God hates pride. So God hates racism. See, pride in sin is the source of all the isms that we talked about last week. If you didn't listen to that sermon, go back and listen to it. It's online. Yeah, I agree. <laughs> all the isms are, are, are found sourced in the pride. This pride that we have in ourselves, in our own race, will lead us to racism, which never brings glory to God. And it doesn't, I'm not talking about, you know, whether it's black, white, yellow, red and yellow, black and white, doesn't matter. Racism is racism. Either way. And racism is nothing more than self-worship and idolatry. And as believers of Christ, you and I know, we should know, that when we stand at the cross, we stand on level ground. There's, we're all at the same level at the cross. In Galatians Paul tells the church at Galatia, he says, There is neither Jew nor Greek, there's neither slave nor free, there's no male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. Why is that? Why is it? Why are all the races at the common level? First of all, we're all created by God, but even more so, all of us need to be redeemed by the blood of Christ. All of us. No matter what our race, what our language, what our tribe, what our tongue, we all need a redeemer. So it makes sense that God is giving Isaiah these prophecies about the Gentile nations. Now, we know that Israel is God's chosen people, right? He, he, he's working through them. He's, he's protecting them. He's doing things with them. But understand that just because Israel is God's chosen people does not mean that, not all, that all the other nations do not belong to God. All the other nations are God's also. Because they are still his. They still will have to stand before their creator and they, will, they still need Jesus. Because one day, one day you and I and all the nations of the world are going to serve God together. If we go to Revelation chapter 5, verse 9, it says, And they sang a new song. This is talking about the multitudes, the people, all the tribes. It says, And they sang a new song, saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll and open its seals, for you were slain. And by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have made them a kingdom of priests to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. They're going to sing. We're going to sing this. Think about this. It doesn't sound very poetic to me. Nothing rhymes, right? But it's going to be an amazing song because not just because of what the words we're saying, but because of the one we're singing it to and the fact that it's all these different people from every tribe, nation, tongue, and people singing this song together. So what we're going to see in chapter 18 of Isaiah, we're going to, Isaiah's, God is having him um, actually focus in on one of these tribes, one of these people. So let's go. Verse 1 of chapter 18. It says, Ah, land of whirring wings that is beyond the rivers of Cush. By the way, the, the whirring wings, whirring wings is tsetse flies. He's talking, about, he's talking about Africa. He's talking about the Nile River Basin. He's talking about the Nile River. 
beyond the rivers of Cush, which sends ambassadors by the sea in vessels of papyrus on the waters. Go, you swift messengers, to a nation tall and smooth, to a people feared near and far, a nation mighty and conquering, whose land the rivers divide. What has happened here is the events of the threat of the Assyrian nation coming in and threatening Judah has reached the ears of a nation of, uh, in Africa. And this nation is interested in what goes on in this place. And what they do is they send their ambassadors to maybe, you know, maybe seek an alliance. I believe this was actually during the time of Hezekiah. And so they're trying to seek an alliance with Jerusalem, with the Judahites, against Assyria. We really don't know what they're seeking because we don't, we don't get a lot of details in here. But we may have a little better understanding if we know who the Cushites are. Because you look at a map today, you will not see the land of Cush. See it here, but on a real on the map you can see what nations it actually entails now. The Cushites were from Cush. They are actually of the tribe of Ham, Noah's son. It was what we would call Ethiopia today. It was a major portion of it. In Isaiah's time, this was a nation to be respected. They became a strong nation. In fact, the Cushites actually conquered Egypt, all of Egypt, all the way up to the Mediterranean. And, and uh, it was actually in, until about 633 B.C. they had conquered Egypt, and they set up what was known as the 25th Dynasty, and they ruled Egypt. Now, as a side note, uh, the Ethiopian country is one of the only one of the few nations in Africa that has resisted um, European colonization. 23 times nations from Europe tried to take over the country and colonize it. They were never able to. Now we look at it today and we, we know about the, the famines and, and, and the things that happened in Egypt or in Ethiopia. We, we think that's kind of odd, but it was it went mighty, powerful nation. And see, the reason why what we're finding here, remember what's happening in Judah, the Assyrians are coming from the north, and, and, and then you've got the, basically the Egyptians, which were the, the Cushites, coming from the south. So you have this squeeze going on with Judah. These two great empires, one in the north, one in the south, are pressuring them from both sides. And this is a common theme. Israel always finds itself between the nations. They find themselves between the nations today. I'm not saying what they're doing is right. I've been doing a lot of reading on that recently and, and watching, and I'm not. I'm, it's very much a. I don't. I'm not so sure they're doing what God wants them to do. I mean, what God would want them to do, but ultimately, it's all going to work out for His glory, anyways. But they are still. They are a secular nation now. But we see this struggle. Little Israel, always caught in the middle. So what happens? The Cushites decide they're going to send a delegation. They probably traveled up, uh, up the, the sea in the middle, the, the, the large body of the, the um, Persian. Is it the Persian Sea? Yeah, the, that's straight up there by Saudi Arabia. They traveled up, and they were in papyrus boats. They send a delegation to Jerusalem. 
to present a, trying to present a united front against the Assyrians. But this isn't the first time they've done this. It's not the first time the Cushites have come to Jerusalem. It is believed that the Queen of Sheba, now the next slide, the Queen of Sheba, yeah. It is believed that she was from that area, that she was a Cushite. It actually, you know, we, we say Sheba, and, and you, the historians argue about where Sheba was, but it actually, the, the actual meaning of the word is uh, Queen of the South. She comes to see Solomon and see all that he's done. He's, she spent much time there, many years there. There's a lot of rumors about her. We're not going to go into all those. But there is one I want to mention. There's a myth that's going, that goes around that when, what, that when Israel was being attacked, that the Cushites came up, the Queen of Sheba sent her delegation up, and they took the Ark of the Covenant out of the temple to protect it. And they took it back, and there is actually today a little uh, Orthodox church in Ethiopia with bars and gates around it that they claim has the Ark of the Covenant in it. And, but you can't see it. Nobody can see it. Only the high priest gets to see it, the one high priest of the Orthodox religion there. I doubt if it's there, because most things that God, that people, when we start to actually worship something more than we worship God, he usually destroys it. When Moses had the snake up on the pole in the desert, later on we find that people worshiped it, so it got destroyed. But that's just a side note. But who knows? Now, as these ambassadors are coming to Jerusalem, they, they run into someone they probably didn't expect to see. And that was this prophet with a message that they didn't quite expect. They encounter Isaiah, and he basically tells them, go home. Because what does he say? He says, go swift messengers to the nation tall and smooth. Go back to Cush. Go, swift messengers. They were fast. See, I believe that their mission made sense politically. But I don't think it made sense spiritually. It wasn't what God wanted to happen. So God is sending them back. Now, the language in the, these first two verses in this chapter are, are kind of, it's interesting because we see it's like there's this level of respect. Go swift messengers to a nation tall and smooth, to a people feared near and far, a nation mighty and conquering whose land the river divides. The rivers divide. God is, in these words, he's delighting in the Cushites. Now, I want you to understand, just because he delights in the Cushites doesn't mean he thinks they're holy and doesn't think that everything they do is right. That's not what it's saying. He doesn't approve of their mission. But he does show them respect. And he delights in them. God has a plan for them. He is Lord over all the nations. We know that later on, if you, if you go to the New Testament, go to the book of Acts, you see that we run into a eunuch. And the eunuch is in the court of the queen of Ethiopia. And he is baptized and becomes a believer and takes Christianity to Ethiopia. God has a plan. He works this out. 
He is Lord over all nations. In Daniel 2, 21, it says he changes times and season. He removes kings and sets up kings. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to those who have understanding. It is God who puts nations in place. It said We said earlier, he, you know, he's the one who puts us where we are, when we are. He sets kings in place. I think sometimes he sets kings in place to punish the people. Other times it all works out for his glory, and other times it's to bless the people. I'll let you decide which is which. But see, also if we look at this, we can also take this from the perspective of God is not only telling them go home, he's giving them a warning. The Cushites were powerful. It was Egypt. It was, they were extremely powerful. They also wanted to do what? Take over the world. And God is saying, no, go home. They want to dominate. God's saying domination by aggression is not going to happen unless it's my will. No amount of scheming, planning, treaty making will change God's plans. Because you and I, just like the Cushites and just like the Judahites, cannot live as if God's will is irrelevant. I think today in our society, we have a tendency to, to, to live that way. Our, our society definitely, our world definitely does. Like what God wants doesn't really matter. We get to do what we want. James warns us about that attitude. He says, come now, you who say today and tomorrow we will go to, into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. Yet you don't know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Instead, so what are we supposed to do? Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. So whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. That last line really hits. If I know what I'm supposed to do and I don't do it, it's a sin. If my children know what, I'm, what I want them to do and they don't do it, it's wrong. You and I know what God wants us to do. We know. We've talked about it over and over. You can't be in this church and not know what God wants to do. He wants us to go and make disciples of all nations. He wants us to love God with all our heart, mind, soul, and strength and love our neighbors as ourselves. He wants us to treat each other with loving kindness. See, you and I, we must walk humbly in the will of God. God has a plan for this world, and we're part of it. And he wants us to walk in his will. What's great about Isaiah 18 is here we have you know, God telling the Cushites, go home. Go home, I don't want you to do this. And don't get any other ideas in your head about taking over the world. Because this is what I'm going to do. Verse 3. All you inhabitants of the world, you who dwell on the earth, when a signal is raised on the mountains, look. When a trumpet is blown, hear. For thus the Lord said to me, I will quietly look from my dwelling like clear heat in the sunshine. Like a cloud of dew in the heat of harvest. 
What we have here is this amazing and magnificent um, thing is about to happen. God has shifted from talking to the Cushites only. Now he's talking to everyone. Everyone. Why? Because we all have the same ambition as the Cushites. We all want to take over our world. We want to control what happens in our world. And when I say our world, I don't mean we all want to take over the whole earth. But I think we, in our own little microcosm of our own little worlds, we like to think that we're in control. But we need to be walking in God's will, not ours. We want to dominate our lives. But see, one day, one day the nations, it looks like today they're not really paying attention to God. We know that. We can see it. We feel it. But one day they're going to sit up and they're going to take notice of what God is about to do. When that trumpet blows, God is going to communicate to all people about his great power. There's going to be no doubt that it's God. You know, there are times in this world and in our lives that we, we feel that God, now where's God? We don't, we don't feel his presence. We, don't, we, we think he's not listening. We pray and we pray and we pray and we don't get an answer, Right? He remains silent when, when natural disasters strike. People sometimes ask, where was God? Where was God? Now, I'll be honest with you. Most of us, on when the storm hit, we knew where God was. <laughs> he was protecting us because I, I know in, in this, this area, only one person passed away from the storm. And it's amazing to see the number of trees that are down and still very few of them hit houses. Some of them did. But, but the death rate was low considering the damage that was done. When nations rise and when nations fall, we wonder why God allows the innocent to be hurt. Why is God allowing the innocent to be hurt in the Ukraine? Why is he allowing abortion to continue? Why is he letting children starve? We ask again and again when trouble strikes if there even is a God. But there is. He knows and he sees everything that's happening in your life and in my life. And in every person on this planet, the reality is God is not silent. And if we go back to the first chapter of Isaiah, the second verse says, Hear, O heavens, and give ear, O earth, for the Lord has spoken. Past tense. God has spoken. And then we see in this oracle, he says, For thus the Lord said to me, I will quietly look for my dwelling like clear heat in the sunshine, like a cloud of dew in the heat of the harvest. God is there. We just don't always see him because we're not looking for him. God is powerful. He's watching. He sees our coming and our going. See, the problem is, I think sometimes that we think that in his silence that he's condoning what we're doing. He doesn't agree with what ha what's happening in this world. It's all going to work for his glory, yes. But he allows, he allows us some liberty. He allows us choices. He allows mankind to make choices in free will. 
That doesn't mean that's what he wants to happen. That's not what he wants us to do. God, God's desires for all to come to faith. But just because he desires it, he's not going to force it. So why is God quiet? Why doesn't he, why doesn't he just right across the sky, <clears throat> I am God, stop it, you know? Why? Because God, in his silence, has given us an opportunity to repent. To willingly come to him and repent. He patiently waits for us to repent and be saved. Peter tells us in 2 Peter, he says, and, and count the patience of our Lord as salvation. Just as our beloved brother Paul also wrote to you according to the wisdom given him. And we see that Paul also tells us not to take God's patience for granted. In Romans 2, 4, he says, Or do you presume on the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience? Do you you really, are you taking it for granted that God is patient with you? Not knowing that his kindness is meant to lead you to repentance? Why is God being quiet and listening to you and, and, and patiently waiting for you? Because he loves you and he's being kind and it leads us to repentance when we realize who God is. While humanity and the world is noisily going about their life, God is silently watching. He's waiting for us to realize how much we really need Him. Because God has an amazing plan for humanity. Go to verse 5 and 6 of chapter 18 of Isaiah. For before the harvest, when the blossom is over and the flower becomes a ripening grape, He cuts off the shoots with pruning hooks. And the spreading branches he lops off and clears the way, clears away. They shall all of them be left to the birds of prey of the mountains and to the beasts of the earth, and the birds of the prey will summer on them, and all the beasts of the earth will winter on them. You know, yesterday I was out, uh, and, and the day before yesterday I was out, and I'm, I'm going through my garden, and I'm picking, I'm, I'm thinning out some of my garden, and I hate it because I'm killing plants. No, I don't think plants are human. I don't think they have feelings. But this is a perfectly good plant, and I'm pulling it out. But I have to, because if I don't, the others won't survive. Understand, yes, God is going to do this to the Assyrians. The field has been planted. It's blossomed. The crop is beginning to ripen. But before that happens, it's lopped off. It's killed. He's going to cut it off before the harvest is ripe. But we we also see this as a foreshadow of what's to come. You know, humanity, we have ideas. We have ideas and plans about what we want our future to look like. My, my, my future, what my future looked like when I was 20 is different than what my future looks like now. I, I didn't plan for my things, my life to be like it is now, but it is. But I have plans for my future. We think we want to know. We think we have the best idea. If you, if you read the manifesto of the, of the World Economic Forum, you'll discover what their plans are for the world. The elites have a whole plan of what they want the future to look like. And they already have leaders in place to fulfill their dreams. They do. I've done the research. It's there. But see, one thing that they forget is that God is in control. Their plans mean nothing. God's allowing them to have those plans and maybe even execute some of their plans. But ultimately, God's in control. 
they would do well to consider Psalm 37, where it says, The wicked plots against the righteous and gnashes his teeth at them, but the Lord laughs at the wicked. I want to hear God laugh. I, really, I can't wait till I can hear God laugh. It will probably be at me, and I understand that. That's good. I still want to make him laugh. I want him to laugh. For he sees that his day is coming. God sees the plans of man. He sees the foolishness of these people who do things against God's anointed. He, he, he sees these things that are happening in the world. And he laughs because he knows his day is coming. And that's what Isaiah 18 is talking about. It's a foreshadowing of his day. He's given us a preview of what is to come. Just when humanity thinks everything is going good, it's going exactly the way we planned it. God's going to step in, and he's going to change the course of history, just like he did when Jesus stepped into history. Paul told the church at Thessalonica in 1 Thessalonians 5, he says, While people are saying there is peace and security, then sudden destruction will come upon them as labor pains come upon a pregnant woman, and they will not escape. It's, it, it fits. It all goes back to, to what God is prophesying in chapter 18. Now, chapter 6 of chapter 18 is a little strange. If we look at that again, they shall all of them be left to the birds of prey in the mountains and the beasts of the earth. And the birds of the prey will summer on them and the beasts of the earth will winter on them. Sounds like a, a you know, the birds of prey and the animals are going to come and pick clean the bones of those that God destroys. Well, if we go to the book of Revelation, we see this happening. We have to understand verse 6 in light of what John gave us in Revelation chapter 19. This is what's physically going to happen to those who have denied Christ. Then I saw an angel standing in the sun, and with a loud voice he called to all the birds that fly directly overhead, Come, gather for the great supper of God, to eat the flesh of kings, the flesh of captains, the flesh of mighty men, the flesh of horses and their riders, and the flesh of all men, both free and slave, both small and great. In Isaiah 18, God's given us a picture of what's going to happen in Revelation. Yeah, it's pretty disgusting, really. There's going to be a great feast. Judgment will come when they least expect it. God's going to take care of evil. So the emissaries from Cush can, can leave it to God. God's got this. He's got his all under control. He knows how to deal with the Assyrians. He knows how, and, and the Cushites will do well. Don't, don't get too many delusions of grandeur. God, God will do the same thing to you. But what of those who trust in Christ? What of what those, those who are believers? What, what's going to happen to them? And we see it in verse 7 of chapter 18. At that time, tribute will be brought to the Lord of hosts from the people tall and smooth. Now he's, he switched back again to the Cushites. From a people feared near and far, a nation mighty and conquering, whose land the rivers divide, to Mount Zion, the place of the name of the Lord of hosts. One day, after all this has happened, and God has stepped back into history, and God has, has come and he's here, the Cushites again will come to Jerusalem as emissaries, but it's going to be different. They're going to be allowed to come and worship God. They're not going to be plotting against the Assyrians. They come to worship God of creation. In fact, all of us that trust in Christ will do the same. 
In verse 9 and 10 of Revelation 7, it says, After this I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one can number from every nation, from all the tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in hands, and crying out with a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and the Lamb. No matter what our plans are for the future, understand that a day of destruction is coming for this world. But after that terrible day, we, we, we talked about that uh, yes, last Sunday. We talked about how the fact by at the beginning of the day, these things are happening. And by the next morning, it's done. One day, it'll be taken care of. All of our plans that we plan for the future don't matter too much because on that day, God will return. But after that terrible day, we're going to have true peace. And as one humanity united in faith, we're all going to go and worship Jesus Christ in Jerusalem. We, like the Cushites, have been warned the day of the Lord is coming. And we would do well to heed Paul's words in 1 Thessalonians. He says, you know, you are not in darkness, brothers, for that day to surprise you like a thief. We we will see it coming. We know it's coming. For you are all children of light, children of the day. We are not of the night or of darkness. We should not be surprised when this happens. We should be looking forward to it. So what do we do? First of all, we need to delight in God and in his word. His word tells us all we need to know. His word tells us what's going to happen. We need to delight in it. We need to walk humbly in faith, seeking the will of God. And we need to long for that day in Jerusalem when we're going to be standing with all the other nations and the tribes and tongues and peoples. And we're going to be worshiping Jesus Christ. Worshiping our Lord and our King. Come, Lord Jesus. Let's pray. Thank you for joining us today. We hope this message was a blessing to you. If you're watching on YouTube, please like this video as it will help in spreading this message into the global online community. Please consider subscribing to our page so that you will receive notices when we post new messages. If you're watching this on Rumble, please hit the Rumble button for this video so that the gospel can be spread into the Rumble community. Also, consider subscribing to our Rumble channel. You can also listen to our podcast on Amazon Music and Apple Podcasts. We hope you have a blessed day.